0: Our Lord, there is no one in this universe like you. We thank you that even though you are the holy God, you're also such a gracious king, a king who sent his only son to this world to redeem us while we were yet sinners. Lord, in light of your beauty, in light of your greatness and your power, your majesty, Lord, I pray that you will, in this time as we open scripture will guide us and equip us and challenge us and inspire us to live in a way that reflects well upon you, that honors you, as we are in a world that presents us with many challenges, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that even though you said we will have trouble in this broken world, you've overcome, that, overcome the world and you've shared that victory with us. And so, Lord, help us to reflect you in, in the world around us and in the relationships that we experience, even during this holiday season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now we are in a sermon series that's called Holiday Survival Guide. This series recognizes the fact that Thanksgiving and Christmas time, even though it's filled with many blessings, can also be a time of significant stress and sadness. And so, Holiday Survival Guide is giving us practical strategies to not merely survive during the Christmas and Thanksgiving season, but to really thrive in this season and beyond. Last week we began the series by looking at Luke chapter 10 where we saw uh, things about stress and priorities along with how we can schedule our lives in such a way that helps us to support and maintain and even grow our commitment with Jesus. Now today I invite you to turn in your Bibles to to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now as we are entering this holiday season, I know that there is one topic that for many of you is co- causing you great anxiety, and that topic is your family. There is something about the holiday season that draws families together, people together who are not normally together all that much during the rest of the year, but during the holiday season, family comes together. And unfortunately, that family time can oftentimes be a hotbed of strife, of pain, and of frustration. And you, you may find yourself during this holiday season sitting at the dinner table with family members who have hurt you or who have taken advantage of you or just kind of drive you crazy. And so today we're looking at how we can be proactive in dealing with these difficult issues. So a question for you, a question for me, during this holiday season, how are you planning to handle these difficult relationships. Now, oftentimes we go into these settings kind of reactive, kind of dreading these situations, but the question is, how can we handle them in a proactive and godly Christ-like way? Well, that's what we're looking at today. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Colossians 3, picking up in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, "'If then you have been raised with Christ, "'seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God.' Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. You must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now there's a lot here. We're going to unpack this today. The main point, though, is that we are called to represent Jesus well in our relationships. Represent Jesus well in your relationships. One of the things that we see here early in the passage is that if you are a Christian, a transformation is taking place in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, because the old is gone and the new has come. And that same dynamic of the old and the new, this transformation is present right here in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 3, it says that you have died. That's talking about your old self. But it says in verse 1 that you have been raised with Christ. You were raised to new life. There's a transformation then that has to be taking place In our lives. In addition, we see in this passage that if you are a Christian, you have a new identity. You have a new identity over in verse 12. It says that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is the identity that we have if our faith is in Christ. We're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That if our faith is in Christ, we have been adopted into God's family, that we have a heavenly Father. Now, if you know me at all, you know I have two kids. And as a father, I spend a lot of time helping my kids learn how to relate well to people around them. You know, it's things like, you know, treat them kindly. Tell the truth. Say please and say thank you. You know, speak life. Don't tear them down. It's things like that. And if an earthly father wants their children to, you know, treat others around them well— How much more does our Heavenly Father want His kids to treat the people around them well also? Now, starting in verse 8 in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul giving some very practical teaching about how we can represent Jesus well in our relationships. In this teaching, he uses an analogy of getting dressed. And I think this is a helpful analogy because we all know what it's like to put on clothes. We all did it this morning. And Paul says that just like we put on clothes, there are certain characteristics that we are to put on in our lives if we are to represent Jesus well in our relationships. So this morning, we're talking about what should we wear during the holidays. So let's pick up over in verse 8, where the Apostle Paul actually talks first about things we need to take off if we want to represent Jesus well. In verse 8 of Colossians 3, The Apostle Paul says, but now you must put them all away. These are talking about the old ways of life, things that we need to take off in this metaphor of clothing. He says you need to put all these things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. So he's saying here to take off your old worldly clothes. First of all, he he focuses on anger. Now if I were to offer a definition, a definition of anger could be a strong feeling of annoyance or displeasure. Now, not all anger is bad, but the way that we humans frequently express anger leads to a lot of trouble. And this is especially the case in a family setting, because in a family setting, anger can get super deep-rooted. I mean, where, where you are dealing with anger that's been festering underneath the surface for, you know, seven years— or 27 years, or 57 years. And if anger has been festering like that in your life with your family for that many years, it's not going to be a surprise if it comes out in very unhealthy or even destructive ways. So Paul says we need to put off anger. We need to take that off. We also need to take off rage, he says. Rage is a burst of temper. Rage is what happens when the anger that's been buried in our lives suddenly comes shooting to the surface. So Paul says, you know, put off these old ways of life, anger, wrath, or rage, malice. Malice is hoping something bad will happen to someone. If you have been harboring bitterness in your heart towards someone, you may find yourself secretly kind of hoping that something will happen that puts them in their place. You know, maybe it's that their kids will kind of mess up a little bit. Maybe it's that their finances or the business takes a little bit of a downturn. This is malice. This is that that secretly hoping that something will come and put them in their place. And if something bad does happen to them, as long as it's not too bad, we're probably going to be thinking in our minds, well, it serves them right. Now Paul says, you know, get that type of thinking out of your mindset. That is not a Christ-like mindset. On top in this passage, he, he says, on top of all this, he says, you know, put off slander. Slander is damaging a person's reputation. Slander is really closely tied with gossip. And during this holiday season, you may be invited by others basically to sin. To sin by gossiping, to sin by slandering others. Because you may be in conversations, whether it's at a party, or whether it's uh, when you're hanging out with your family, that someone says, you know, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe what they did? What do you think about that? That's an invitation to slander. And so in that, in, that, in that time, you have a choice to make. Are you going to disparage someone else? Are you going to say something that could further damage that person's reputation? Are you going to gossip about them? Or are you going to choose to abstain from that, choose maybe to redirect the conversation another way? Or just choose not to participate in that conversation? We have a choice. Paul says these were characteristics of our old way of life, uh, of life before Christ came on the throne of our lives. But Paul says, you know what? You need to take those things out of your life. Picture with me a child who has been having fun in the mud. You know, this little girl up on the screen. She looks like she's been having fun in the mud. Now, what will her mom or dad tell her before she comes into into the house? You need to take off those clothes, maybe in the garage or something like that, because if she comes in the house with all all that mud all over her, it's going to make a mess all over the house. Take off those clothes before you come into the house. In the same way, if we are entering a family gathering during this holiday season, we have a lot of ugliness festering inside of us regarding our family, regarding some baggage that we have from the past there. It's only, it only makes sense. It's quite inevitable that that baggage, that messiness, is going to come out and make a mess of things with our family. That is why Paul says that we need to put off anger and wrath and malice and slander. He goes on uh, in the next couple of verses to say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So put off the old self. Put on the new. So, so picking up in verse 12, Paul is talking about putting on your new Christ like clothes. We put off the old stuff, the stuff that's going to damage relationships and not reflect well in Christ. And we have new Christ like clothes to put on. Verse 12 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let's start with that first one on the list, compassion. Compassion is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Now, some of you have been badly hurt by members of your family. Some of you right now are going through situations that are just frustrating, that are really, really tricky. I get that. But what compassion does is is to move our heart from a place of frustration or a place of even raging at someone else Compassion is seeking to move our heart from those places of raging and frustration to to a place where our heart is breaking for the other person. And you may wonder, how in the world do we get to that place? That's what compassion is, where our heart's breaking for another person. How do we get there? Well, I think part of it is recognizing this idea that hurting people hurt people. If you have someone in your life who is doing things or saying things that hurt you, you can be practically guaranteed that's coming from a place of hurt in their lives. So, part of growing in a heart of compassion is praying that God will, will help us to see what's going on in their lives and have compassion on them, put ourselves in their shoes. I, I recently finished reading a book that is called Crucial Conversations. And it's about how do we handle these conversations uh, that, that are high stakes and where they're very strong emotions. In this book, there's a section that talks about turning villains into humans. Because many times when we're in a conflicted situation or a hard relationship, it's easy to vilify uh, the other person, to kind of turn them into a villain and think, well, they're such a bad person here. um, we, We just think the worst of them. But this book talks about how do we turn villains into humans, and it's basically the topic of compassion. So let me read to you a strategy that comes from this book. It says that when you find yourself labeling or otherwise vilifying others, stop and ask, why would a reasonable, rational, and decent person do what this person is doing? This particular question humanizes others. As we search for plausible answers to it, our emotions soften. Empathy often replaces judgment. And depending upon how we've treated others, personal accountability replaces self-justification. Now, you may be thinking, well, this other person's not even reasonable. But you know what? The attempt to put ourselves in their shoes, to try to think about things from their perspective, whether it's through their background or through the hurt that they may be experiencing or, or just maybe legitimate feelings that they have, it helps us put ourselves in their shoes and helps move our heart to a place of compassion. You think about Jesus. Jesus had all kinds of compassion on people around him. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when people are like sheep without a shepherd, they're going to be trying to make up whatever defense mechanism they can to protect themselves. And they're going to be looking to places um, and habits and patterns in their lives that aren't healthy, but they look to those things to protect themselves and nourish themselves. But what we need to have is compassion, where we can recognize, you know what, yeah, they're struggling here. And I want to put myself in their shoes to try to understand what they're experiencing rather than just pointing the finger of condemnation at them all the time. Back here in verse 12, it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, and kindness. Kindness is treating people better than they deserve. Why would we want to do that? Well, it's because that's how God has treated us. It's called grace, an unmerited, undeserved gift that God has given us. If you want to show kindness to someone in your family during this holiday season or anyone else, Try by just giving them a genuine compliment. Try serving them. Try saying thank you to them if they do something that helps you. Try asking them questions about something that that might be interesting to them. Listen. These are basic ways that we we can show kindness to practically anyone. Paul also points out the importance here of humility. Humility could be defined as accepting a lesser role. Now, some of you in your family have people who just need to have the final word on things. They need to, to be able to tell the best story. They're, they're bragging about their children. They're boasting about other aspects of their lives. You know, it might be a cousin, might be an aunt or uncle, or niece or nephew. It might be a sibling who just rubs you the wrong way all the time because they always have to be the best. They always have to win. You know what? Competi- or, uh, humility is really allowing the other person to be seen as successful. It might be allowing the other person to have the final word in the situation. I want to reference another book, uh, that, C.S. Lewis' Mere Christianity, where he in this book is talking about pride, which is the opposite of humility. And C.S. Lewis says that the more we have pride ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. If you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take any notice of me or patronize me or show off? The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, But they are not they are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others if anyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good looking there would be nothing to be proud about it is the comparison that makes you proud the pleasure of being above the rest now what humility says is it says you know i'm done with this competition i'm not going to try to get the final word here i'm not going to try to be the one Who's always proving them wrong or putting them in their place. And so a key question is, okay, if we want to be humble and allow other people to, you know what, maybe take the spotlight at times, the question then is how do we still have a good sense of self, a good sense of identity and well-being in that humility? And I think the key is found in the gospel, the key is, is found in the idea that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That if he approves of us, it doesn't really matter all that much what other people think of us. That gives us a foundation where we don't have to try to be competing with other people. Because if, if we have pr- pride, it's going to be competing with other people's pride. And that's partly probably what drives us crazy when other people in our families are always boasting and bragging. And always have to be right and always have the final word. That's pride in us that is bristling at the pride that's in them. But humility allows us to say, you know what, I'm just going to let it slide. It's not a big deal. I don't need to prove them wrong here. And and in fact, if you do try to get into an argument with them, try to prove them wrong, odds are good that's just going to make you look bad too. Because people can usually tell who the arrogant loudmouth is. And so don't stoop to their level. Instead, Paul says, you know, in all your relationships, including with your family this holiday season, Exercise humility. Exercise humility. Now, Paul moves on this passage to say, you know, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness. Gentleness is about holding back harshness. Now, depending on your family dynamics, this may be very difficult. For you, as you go into a family setting this season, if you come from a very difficult family background where things just always erupt into just messiness and ugliness, for you, a win this holiday season may simply be going there, enjoying a nice meal, being cordial to your family, and then going home. That may be a win for you this season. That may be how you practice gentleness with your family. Paul goes on to mention patience, patience, patience. It's about putting up with more than I should. And then he talks about forgiveness. Forgiveness means releasing the offense to God. In verse 13, Paul says that if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This shows that forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a command. Now that's hard. But we have to recognize that forgiveness is not merely letting them off the hook. Because, you know, forgiveness is frequently hard because we, we want them to pay for whatever they did wrong. We want them to recognize it and to feel bad about it. That's frequently what hinders forgiveness. We're called to forgive. We're commanded to forgive. Forgiveness is not merely letting them off the hook. It's letting God take the hook for us. Because that means that if, if there is vengeance to be paid, if someone needs justice done, if someone needs to be convicted of something, forgiveness says, you know what, God? I'm going to trust this to you. I'm ready to release the bitterness and the anger. God, you handle the situation now. That's what forgiveness allows us to do. And the motivation for the, this forgiveness, again, is from the gospel. So what God has treated us through Christ. As the Lord has forgiven you, Paul says so you also must forgive. And you may be thinking, Brandon, you don't understand how much pain this person has caused me or how, how messy the situation is, how wrong that person is. You may be thinking that, and you're probably right because I don't know what your exact situation is, but I do know that we have a God who is deeply forgiving. And if you are struggling to forgive someone else, then, then think about how much God has forgiven you. Think about the wrong that you have done to God and his forgiveness of you, and that can help you have a softer, more forgiving heart toward others. You know, maybe our prayer in this situation needs to be, Lord, help me forgive those who sin differently than me. Because you know what? We all sin. Maybe we need to pray that God will help us to forgive those who sin differently than us. We need to be conduits of God's grace, where God's grace and forgiveness flows into our lives and flows out through us, to the people around us. Now, verse 14 closes out this passage by saying, Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is about desiring the other people's ultimate good. And you look at all these different qualities, the, the compassion, the kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in love. These, all these qualities reflect Jesus. And all these qualities characterize Jesus. He embodied these qualities in his life. Now as we put on these qualities, it's not a call to let people walk all over us and take advantage of us. Jesus still balanced grace and truth, but we need to make sure that grace is an important part of the equation in how we relate to others. Now in closing, I want to just point out two dangers in how we might try to apply this. One danger is the danger of just trying hard. The other danger is faking it. You know, some people will say, well, just fake it till you make it. I don't think that's a very good recipe for success when we're trying to apply these topics. Because if you're just faking love and compassion and kindness and stuff like that, and you really aren't feeling it inside, all it is is a recipe for greater bitterness. And on the other side, if you're just like, okay, I'm just going to try hard. I'm hoping that my inside will catch up with my outside sometime. I'm just going to try hard. That's a recipe just for failure and frustration. We need the internal transformation to go with how we're acting on the outside. I think back to a couple weeks ago when my kids were trick-or-treating, you know, around Halloween time. Uh, somehow, without coordinating with each other, both of my kids ended up dressing like Superman. And there they are, both dressed like Superman. Now, here's the interesting thing. These were costumes. And everyone knew they were costumes. Externally, they had a, had a resemblance to Superman. Superman. But there was no major transformation that took place. I mean, it wasn't like when they put on these costumes, they could suddenly fly, or they suddenly were super strong, or they suddenly had this nice, deep voice. No, they were just still themselves, just with a different costume on. And this is not what Paul is saying that we should do. He's not saying, you know what, just fake it, just put on this costume. Instead, we need to recognize that there must be internal transformation that goes along with how we're living externally. It's not going to work for you just to go into your family situation and try to be Superman or Wonder Woman when, in fact, all that is is just a costume that you're putting on from the outside. A better strategy than just trying hard or just faking it is to meditate on the gospel and to surrender to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 and 2, Paul says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, set your minds on things. That are above, not on things that are on earth. This is a call to meditate on God and on the gospel. Because as we do that, it's going to fill our hearts with a sense of love and joy and and patience and kindness. Because that's what God's shown to us. And also, seek to, to surrender to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Look with me over to verse 10. It says, put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. It's being renewed. That is passive. It's being renewed. It's not renewing itself. It's being renewed by something else. What is renewing us from the inside out? It's the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It That is the Holy Spirit takes control of our lives from the inside out. These fruits love, the joy, all, the, all these different qualities listed in Colossians 3 will be lived out through us. And that's an internal transformation that transforms the way that we relate to those around us. And if we're able to live out these qualities in a conflicted family situation, you know, people may look at us as we're living out the fruit of the Spirit and they may think, wow, you're kind of Superman in this situation. How in the world did you remain so patient? How, how did you respond so calmly and kindly After all that they've done to you, you can attribute that to the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, giving you the strength and giving you this new self, this new clothing. It's not just external, but it comes from the inside. Just because you've handled relationships poorly in the past doesn't mean that always has to characterize you. There can be a change and a transformation that takes place. Remember that in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Now, in closing, verse 11 says here, so it's talking about the impact of the gospel. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythians, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, if the gospel can unite Greeks and Jews, if the gospel can unite slave and free barbarians and everyone else, surely the gospel can bring unity and peace with you and your in-laws, with you and your siblings, with you and and your cousins. So we come back to the question, what are you going to wear for the holidays? God calls us to put on the gospel of God's amazing grace and let that transform the way we relate to others. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, a grace that we do not deserve, that we have not earned, but you've given it to us freely. And Lord, as we enter a holiday season, and even as we look beyond And we face the reality of some challenging relationships, whether it's with family or with co-workers or neighbors or acquaintances or friends or whoever, Lord, uh, classmates. Lord, please do a renewing work in us. Help us to reflect and meditate on the gospel and to be transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to put on this new clothing of humility, of gentleness, of kindness, of compassion, love and forgiveness toward those around us. And Lord, even though we can't control the reaction of others, I pray that you will do a work through us that then will begin to shape others as well and bring increasing levels of peace and life to our relationships with all around us. And so Lord, we thank you for your grace for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.